Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today we got Joe Gilfeder, the Director of Strength Conditioning at Fordham University, to talk about individuality. We dove into a lot of different things Joe breaks up his program, but he said it really well at the end of how many days a week do I have and what can you do? I thought that was a really amazing, very smart, interesting way to break down individuality. He did an amazing job. I highly recommend you listen to this entire episode because it was a really lot of great nuggets Joe pulled from someone who's in the trenches doing this on a high level. We also have our book, Strength Deficit, available for purchase at phpodcast.com as well as Amazon. It's going to cost a little bit more if you go to Amazon because it's hardcover and it's print to order versus us having a couple more copies on on deck and it's a paperback. So you'll save a little bit of money going to phpodcast.com but available both Amazon Amazon at phpodcast.com. This is your technical guide to implementing strength deficit, which is leveraging eccentric versus concentric strength within your setting. Also, we have a course available, Strength Deficit, The Practical Guide. This is your companion to the technical guide or the book to help you understand how to implement that within your setting. This is broken up into six different sections. That's going to go through all of the nuances I had to learn while implementing this at Army West Point and being able to think about this at a high level after writing the book and receiving a bunch of questions about how do I do this. So your companion guide available also at phpodcast.com. This is seamlessly integrated onto your platform at phpodcast.com where you can have access to our entire curriculum, which this as well as over 50 more modules and growing are going to be featured on there and give you access to various debates, lectures that I've done, as well as getting access to a forum that you can ask questions and interact with other coaches that are trying to understand all this stuff at a high level. So head over to phpodcast.com, check out the book, check out the course, check out the curriculum. This is a really must have advanced level curriculum and holistic resource for any strength conditioning coach out there or anyone learning, trying to learn how to develop athletes or their clients at a higher level. Finally, realize.me, this is your command center for all health and wellness performance. This is gonna be your go-to place to creating dashboards, experiments, pulling labs, getting discounts on supplements so you can understand what you're doing and how to do what you're doing better. I use this myself, I use this with all my clients. Highly recommend realize.me to create a more robust, way to track and chronicle everything that you're doing with your clients, athletes, or yourself. Realize that me, your command center for all health and wellness performance. Further ado, let's get into this. We got Joe on to talk about individuality. This is a really good listen, so I hope you guys enjoy. All right, everybody. We got Coach Joe Gilfeder from Fordham University, home of the great uh, why am I blanking on his name? Oh my God. Uh, head coach Green Bay. Vince Lombardi. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I read his biography and I completely skipped my mind what his name was. All right. Joe, thank you for being on. Joe, introduce yourself. Take a second to go over what you're doing and what you got going on and uh, we'll hit it. Yeah. So uh, I'm Joe Gilfeder, uh, Director of Strength and Conditioning at Fordham University, home of the Vince Lombardi. Um, also home of big Joe Gilfeder, my father. He grew up in the Bronx, not too far from campus. My mom grew up from Brooklyn, uh, grew up in Brooklyn. So it was uh, a great homecoming about five years ago, coming from Dartmouth uh, up in New Hampshire, down here to to Fordham. And uh, I've been here since uh, March 12, 2018. Not that uh, that was an important day for me or anything like that. But, uh, you know, this March will mark five years here at Fordham and been blessed to um, 
kind of lead this program and, and have uh, some growth within our program, work with some amazing coaches. And uh, it's been uh, it's been awesome. I can't say enough about the Bronx. I can't say enough about Fordham and, and really blessed to be here. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I am also from Brooklyn. Uh, my mother's side of the family is from there. So I funny story there. Um, also, uh, we lost to Fordham my second year at Army. And I remember when the NFL scout came by and he's like, their roster is just way better than yours. I was like, yeah, sure. You know, we're 1A there. They're, they're they're FCS and we'll see what happens. And it was like our first uh, night game. And I got us out. I don't even know what in length wise, but they were making a big deal about it. We had our superintendent go onto the field with this chopper that we had from Orange County Choppers. And then we laid an egg. And uh, then we had an epic, uh, pretty much two and a half hour staff meeting right after the game. All the head coach, all the all the assistant coaches and me um, sitting there. And the first 30 minutes of it was just in silence with our head coach, just looking down. And then he just finally pops his head up. He goes, what went wrong? Um, so Great memories with Fordham at Army West Point. We ended up tearing it around. Uh, we ended up be, uh, being good the next year. So uh, it, it all worked out in the end. We also lost to Yale that year, too. So it was a pretty, uh, pretty hard, emotionally strong year. And uh, we rallied, and we ended up beating Navy the next year. And then I rode off into the sunset. So uh, cool Fordham little backstory there. All right. Uh, so we're going to talk about individuality. Thank you for taking the time. And um and bringing into it before we got on this actual call, we were talking a little bit about some sports that you were working with and, you know, just the, the nuance involved with that. So I think that's a good segue. Uh, why don't we go through the sports you're working with? And then just generally speaking, it could be from a psychological perspective, from a training perspective, from a uh, logistic perspective, whatever you think is the direction you want to go with the different sports you're currently working with or oversee at Fordham. So here at Fordham, I, I currently work with football. I work with men's swimming and diving. And then I work with our cheer and dance team as well. Um, so I get a large uh, variety of athletes. You know, I've got 6'6", 320-pound offensive linemen. I've got 4'10", you know, uh, cheerleaders um, who have had a, an amazing, uh, you know, either dance or gymnastics background. So those athletes move very, very differently. One thing that... Um, really kind of prepared me uh, in regards to individuality um, was working at Dartmouth. You know, my initial position there, um, I was, you know, I think I was termed a professional intern, which means, you know, you're going to work with everybody and we're going to pay you nothing um, or, or peanuts at least. But, um, you know, that was something where you worked with sailing, you worked with football, you worked with basketball, you worked with, you know, uh, crew, you know, the rowing teams, those guys are, have drastically different body types. And even if you look at just like rowing, you'll get maybe six, 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 seven guys. And then we also train the coxswain, you know, who's leading the boat, which is the smallest person that you would want because they would weigh the boat down less. Um, so in regards to individuality, um, I've had a lot of experience just working with males, females, um, you know, different body size, body sizes, different body types, um, heights, limb lengths, torso lengths, all those things are going to play a huge role into 
individualizing the program more so than I think the sport itself. You know, I, I really, the more I, I, I program, the more I coach, the more I look into it, I individualize things more for that individual body size, body type mentality versus, oh, you're a basketball player or you're a football player or you're a, you know, cheerleader, dance athlete, because there are going to be exercises that are, that work, that are going to be truly effective in what we're trying to build, the attributes we're trying to give those athletes. Um, so I, I look more towards how that athlete moves and how that, you know, the, the training age, any past injury uh, history, um, limitations they maybe have in movement capacity. I program much more along those lines than, hey, this is the squat that is for the basketball players, or this is, you know, the best uh, upper body exercise for, you know, the offensive lineman on a football team, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely much more my consideration. And I think working with 30 different sports over the last, you know, seven to 10 years has been a, you know, a huge uh, benefit for me as a coach. Yeah. You know, I actually interned at Harvard as well. And I tell everyone, if you want your reps, if you want the opportunity to coach, go to an Ivy man, like they need you. And you're going to work with such a variety and such a, I mean, just a good kid, but like, Honestly, if you want to get good at coaching fast, that's an incubator, man. That is a place to put you in the in the fire. And there's so many situations, I'm sure, when you were just getting started, they have to trust you so quickly because there's just no other way. You know, where you're with a team by yourself or with this, you know, group that, quite frankly, that a coach has two or three sports going at once because there's 40 plus sports and there's minimal time because they have these dead periods throughout the day and there's three strength coaches and you just kind of have to figure it out. Um, but on the note of that, you mentioned this idea that there's no, I, there's no perfect exercise or there's no sports specific, I guess I should say that loosely, but there's this idea that you're not looking for this panacea of strength training for basketball players. You're looking for the best solution for that. But before we kind of dive into those individualizing aspects from a exercise, either modification, per lateralization, regression perspective, you know, what is kind of the, I guess, the general starting point you're thought going into? Like, I've never worked with uh, dancing, so I'm kind of have to start somewhere. What is your thought process? And then how, walk me through how you prune that and refine that the more you learn about each individual athlete. Yeah, so things we kind of look at is, you know, every exercise that we have, you know, or every training program that we have um, is going to be built on exercises throughout a continuum, you know, and I want to make sure that I'm going to start at, you know, that lowest hanging fruit and I'm going to have that athlete prove and demonstrate movement competency. So if we're just looking at a lower body exercise, maybe like a back squat. Right. And that's kind of where we want to go. Okay. Because we can load it the most. It's going to train, you know, our torso, our quads, our glutes, our hamstrings. You know, um, it's going to be an exercise that we deem important in our program. And it, it may be a back squat, it might be a front squat. Maybe you value a single leg movement in that regards. But what is your continuum 
to get to that end goal. So if it's an athlete that has a low training age, if it's a new group that I've never trained before, um, even if it's got some advanced athletes, I want to make sure that I have that lowest hanging fruit and the athlete, the group, they perform that exercise on the continuum with great, you know, with what I want to accomplish. So are we getting a full range of motion? Are we keeping a vertical torso? Are we, you know, stabilizing our spine and being able to do the repetitions with the greatest integrity one after another, whether fatigue comes in or not. So if we're looking at a back squat, for example, that's where we want to go. Okay. We're going to start off with maybe a body weight squat. Okay. Maybe it's going to be a goblet squat. Maybe it's going to be a hands-free front squat. Um, maybe it's going to transition to a front squat. Maybe it's going to then translate to, you know, a safety bar Hatfield type squat where we've got some type of hand supported so that we can learn, okay, vertical torso all the way down. We decrease the resistance a little bit. So I want to give, I want to set the athletes up for success. I don't want to all of a sudden say, we're going to clean from the ground from day one. We are going to back squat from day one. I don't care if you're a senior, fifth year, third year, first year, have ever been in the weight room before. You know, if I'm working with that athlete for the first time or that team the first time, we are going to set the athlete up for success and we are going to grab that lowest hanging fruit. And then everyone will progress at a different rate, you know, and that's my job as a coach to identify that like, okay, this person knows how to do a goblet squat on a specific tempo with a specific range of motion. They've got great rep integrity, regardless if it's the first rep, the fifth rep, or the 10th rep, regardless if it's 20 seconds time under tension or 60 seconds time under tension, they're able to continue to master each and every rep. Then maybe that next time we go to a hands-free front squat, oh, wait, we've got you know, a swim and dive athlete who does not know the difference between a barbell or a dumbbell, we're going to stick with that goblet squat for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. That's a great exercise. You know, people will turn their nose up at a goblet squat or a hands-free front squat and be like, well, it's not the back squat. It's not the front squat. Um, people will not like certain movements because they think that they ultimately want to get to the destination sooner than the athlete is probably ready for, you know, and I am, I, I think over the years um, I've developed that my maturity as a coach to be, to probably move slower than that athlete would like. Um, and I believe it's really for their, their betterment over the time of three, four, five years. I mean, now I, I get people six years, you know, with COVID and all these transfer things. So uh, that's a long period of time to really develop someone. So I really want to make sure it's a slow cook process. It's, it's amazing to think about, you know, this notion that one exercise just simply flat out better. It's, it's, it's such a, it's such a, uh, I look at it this like idea of, Wow, I would love that luxury to say one thing is just simply better because when you're in the situation that probably you and I are very similar of with like seeing hundreds and hundreds of people on every single day 
And when you're looking at it, uh, I barely know what this is going to be for that one individual and how it's going to just fractal out to 500 people on any given day. So I better start off with this conservative approach of let's just rule out that everyone can do a goblet squat or a, a bodyweight squat. Let's just at least know that right before we start to go really far down the rabbit hole of trying to get the back squat. And let's say that is our end goal, right? Like that is something that we believe from a weightlifting perspective, we want to snatch and clean and jerk everybody. Great. Coming back to day one and all of the other things that they're incurring between maybe the last time you saw them last May going into that first fall workout, or maybe they just transferred there and the other program, who knows what they did before. Maybe they never touch a weight. Maybe they hate training. Maybe they absolutely hate the weight room and they go in there and you're forcing a square peg round hole regardless. At least ruling out of, I saw them touch your toes. I saw them do a body weight squat. I can build up from that. And I think that process of of coming to that conclusion of at least just kind of ruling out this standard or baseline of like, let's just see what their maturity is when I ask them to do a set of five with a 4.0 exo tempo. Like, I just want to see what they do there. And and then from there, if they go, they smoke it and they go, that was stupid, that was easy. Like, great, thank you for uh, giving me that validation and confirmation that we can do more. But the folks that are just, oh, man, just if you're not back squatting or if you're not doing Olympic lifts from the ground, I feel like that's a that's a unique situation that I envy a little bit because I'm not there. I, when I'm looking at my athletes or my clients or the situations I've been in, you know, I just I don't have that luxury. I have to be a little bit more proactive in finding the really good solution that everyone can do and then trying to tease out options. But with that being said, there's a note on there that I kind of want to dive into with you because you're a director, you have a staff. How do you look at that standard in which you described and ensure that the sports that you're not directly overseeing or the coaches that are working with you with your sports are all following through with that same thought process of let's slow cook this. Let's have some sort of standard or, ex or things execute executable aspects of this movement that we want to accomplish with your staff, with other sports or working with football or sports that you're working with directly yourself. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because, you know, there's so many different ways that there's so many different beliefs out there about what's the best way, you know, and, I like to think that what we're trying to do is the best way. You know, I, I firmly believe that, but I see things uh, at other programs, whether it be a high back box squat or, you know, someone really values super heavy, you know, split squats, Hatfield style with a safety bar, you know, and I'm not sure, um, you know, there's going to be certain coaches that, that really, really value those things. You know, and there are going to be other programs that maybe that's less of an emphasis, you know, not to say that one's better or worse or this or that. But over the years, um, you know, we've really emphasized a full range of motion squat, you know, for example, or we really value the Olympic, you know, lifting uh, variations, you know, and, and what we've tried to do is we've really just tried to emphasize quality over quantity. You know, we do have a record board um, in, in a back, in the back. 
Um, and it's an all sports record board. So, and we have it tied both to overall performance as well as relative performance. So we equate it to body weight as well. So relative strength is there. Um, and we've got numerous different categories, but from like when I first got to Fordham, we did not move uh, the way that I wanted to move on, on a lot of our movements, on, on a lot of our exercises. You know, I thought the the range of motion was lacking. Um, I thought the quality of the repetitions was not there. I thought we were focused a little bit more on just moving weight to move weight, um, which is great to say on, you know, Instagram and great to maybe, you know, tell your buddy down uh, at, at home that you squatted 600 pounds, but the truth of the matter is our, our movement was not there and um, we needed, we needed to humble ourselves a little bit. And I watched one training session um, just to kind of get a feel for, for, you know, uh, how we did things at Fordham. And then I kind of, <laughs> I joke about it now, but it's kind of like that movie Captain Phillips, where after that first training session, I kind of was like, I'm the captain now. Like we need to change things right now. Um, we need to take a step back. We need to make sure that our movement integrity, um, the capacity and, you know, which we have, you know, throughout our, our joints, um, our integrity and in how we perform these things, it needs to step up. If we want to be injury resilient, if we truly want to be strong, if we really want all the work that we're doing inside the weight room to translate to on field, on court, you know, in the water, uh, benefits. So I think having parents, you know, uh, from the Bronx, from Brooklyn, growing up in New Jersey, uh, I was just very blunt, you know, it wasn't like I was afraid of hurting anyone's feelings, whether it be any of my assistants, but, or, or the kids for that matter. But uh, I was like, this is unacceptable. This is how we're going to do things. And it really did take a long time. Um, but that's why there's so many great exercises along that continuum. There's so many factors that I can implement uh, within the program itself to get the type of movement that I wanted. So whether that be utilizing a 10 second eccentric on a squat, whether that be utilizing a regression on some of our Olympic movements to set ourselves up to have the appropriate reception of a bar and a clean or the great bar path that we're looking for. Okay. Can we pause in certain positions to make sure that we own our foot pressures, that we own our postures, utilizing some of those techniques, um, you know, within the exercises itself, no, you know, utilizing some of those regressions um, that are so helpful to us. I think that was a big, big part about, um, improving the quality in which we perform those exercises. So I got a lot of pushback in the beginning because our weights were down, you know, particularly with, with football players, uh, they've got big egos that can be a damaging thing to their egos. And I was a college football player myself. So I, I can imagine how I would have reacted thinking that I was this strong. And then someone telling me, no, 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 you're not this strong. We need to take a step back before we take two steps forward. I can understand um, how damaging that may be to their ego uh, in the moment, but it has truly paid dividends to not only our injury resiliency, but now we're stronger than we were several years ago, but it did take time. 
and there was a lot of pushback and coach Gill was not the most popular person at Fordham throughout that first maybe year or two. But I, I think the guys have seen uh, and our ladies have seen uh, huge benefits um, to taking that step back before progressing forward. Yeah. I mean, that's very similar to my experience when I took over at army and yeah, I think when you look at it, when you go into a program or when you're starting to try to make an impact in a place that either has had great success or feels like they're, they got this aspect good, right? Like this wasn't the reason why we weren't, we were losing before it was other elements. I think it's just this like uniform aspect of how you do one thing is how you do everything. And if you're just going to completely throw the baby out with the bathwater and just say, I don't care about how this looks. I'm just executing this from start and finish. I don't care what happens in between or there's incredible load or I gave great effort. I think you lose this opportunity to go through. Hey, do you think that is the best way you could possibly do that? If I asked you to go more range of motion, could you? Yeah, obviously. Would you have to lower the weight? Yeah. Why would you sacrifice that one aspect for anything? Why would you make that decision for an arbitrary weight that's really meaningless that doesn't get us more wins right now? Like we were two and 10 last year. It doesn't matter. It didn't work. So why would we completely lock in on this way of doing something that is just made up to begin with, right? Someone said 600 pound back squat's good a long time ago relative to what, right? I mean, I could joke about powerlifters, powerlifting is what weightlifters who couldn't snatch or clean and jerk a certain amount of weight end up doing because they were too stiff. You know, that's that's essentially what some of these exercises have, have evolved from, from someone in a garage saying, I'm just going to do squat and bench because I can't snatch and clean and jerk. So it, from that stance, it goes into this level of what is the point to say that I can squat 600 pounds if I can't go through a full range of motion or if it doesn't translate to this other thing? And when we start to break that down, I think it comes back to, do you have a standard in the first place? Do you have this idea of what good looks like, right? Like, you know, the Larry Flint versus the the world of like, I don't know what pornography is. I just know what it looks like. I, I know what good technique is. I do. Like, I do know what it is because I've seen it enough and I see what bad technique is. So I can tell you that's bad because I'm the expert. I'm the authority. Your 600 pound back squat, I could fractal that out into another direction, just do a thousand pound leg press. What does it matter? Like, it doesn't make a difference to do something in that partial range or with that shitty position to get some sort of just arbitrary number. Like, again, it comes down to what is the quality? You know, can we touch our hamstring down to our calf? Can we keep our torso perpendicular to the ground? Can we hit these benchmarks with these movements? No. Okay. Maybe I need to regress that movement back down to, you know, some areas that you can do that with. And then we could build back up. And famous story we had at Army was eventually we hit the, the cap of all of our dumbbells on goblet squat. Like, we wouldn't let any of our development guys do any barbell movement to kind of prove the point. And we just had several guys just grabbing the 200-pound dumbbell and just gobble squatting it. I'm like, okay, well, we got fives today. And they're like, I can knock this out for 10. Perfect position. Like, okay, I think we've mastered this. Like, you guys have proven your point. When you're told to do something correctly, you can do it well. And why can't we take that with a barbell? And why can't we take that with the, with dumbbells and other exercises? And over time, you know, the standard becomes the norm. And then you start to look at it from this other lens of, 
if you just emphasize it, if you just make a point of it, and if you just start to push people in the right direction, they start to develop this mindset of that's what matters. That's what we need to really lean in on. So um, I want to go into a direction. Sorry, lost you there for a second. Um, yeah, you're back now. Okay, great. Okay. How, is that me? Okay. I think we're, we're recording here. All right. So uh, where did I get lost on that one? Do you remember? You were talking about 200 pound goblet squats and army. So I was really, uh, yeah, you had, a, uh, you, had a big, you had a big grin there. Okay, great. But you know, it goes into this element of when the standard becomes a norm, you can push that as far as that needs to go. And then you go, okay, it's time for another exercise. Uh, but I want to go into a direction, uh, cause we're talking a lot about from a biomechanical perspective, but I think there's a physiology play here too. Um, are you looking at any variables to assess when or where you should progress something from an adaptability standpoint or from a just like these, okay, across the board, everyone's doing pretty good with this exercise. Are you looking at anything from a physiological perspective to go time to move on to another level here at all with any of your athletes? So I guess the answer is going to be both. You know, there are going to be certain times when that progression is going to come more subjectively, meaning like, okay, they've really mastered the technique on this block clean variation. All right, so let's maybe introduce a hang variation, maybe from above the knee, let's transfer down to below the knee towards our, you know, snatch variation or clean variation let's make it a little bit harder so great technique let's progress it versus we need to you know master this technique a little bit more the bar needs to stay a little bit closer you need to own your catch and your foot pressure a little bit more um in a power variation until we go down to a full squat variation of that clean or that snatch or whatever we're doing there so there's going to be some subjective evaluation objective evaluation situations um what i really do like is something that i stole from jim wendler uh, a long time ago in regards to like a goblet squat you know um we would do half our body weight for 20 reps on a goblet squat and if we can do that um all the way hamstrings covering the calves vertical torso um we will elevate some people's heels um with that or keep them on the ground uh, based on kind of that positioning that they're able to maintain. I'm, I'm not afraid to elevate someone's heels and keep them elevated um, for one reason or another. It could be ankle mobility. It could be just their ability to shift their thorax back a little bit and keep their, their torso vertical. But I've really liked um, half body weight for 20 reps on a goblet squat because not only is that going to be tough physiologically, it is going to be tough psychologically. You know, to have some of our 300-pound linemen grab a 150-pound dumbbell, you know, have the discipline to go one rep after another for 20 repetitions um, on a goblet squat like that, that's one of our benchmarks. That's one of our standards before transitioning to a barbell squat, whether that be, you know, front squat variation, hands-free front uh, variation. I typically like – going to a, a front loaded variation before transitioning towards a, a back squat loaded variation um, in the future. But that's something that I'll do with football. I'll do that with swim and dive. I've done that with cheer and dance. Um, it's something that uh, I've 
really liked from a physiological test as well as a psychological test. Um, and, and it, just the discipline to have that rep integrity. I know that if someone can do that, they are then ready for the barbell, mm. you know, and not to say that they would not be ready for the barbell beforehand, but it's just one of those things here at Fordham in our little dungeon weight room where it's some, it's kind of like a, a rite of passage. Um, and I stole it from Jim Wendler long ago. Cause I was amazed at what he was getting some of his uh, high school athletes to accomplish um, and kind of tests that they were having um, inside their weight room. So I made sure that we put it into uh, our program here. And um, it's definitely been uh, a, a good benchmark, a good standard, any type of, you know, progression that we're going to have within our weight room for some of our movements that we deem uh, important. You know, for example, we don't bench press anybody in the barbell until they can do a chin up. So that is one that I stole. I forget who it was, but they will only dumbbell bench. They will overhead press with dumbbells. They will do push-ups. They will do dips. But on our football team, we will not flat barbell bench press, which really, really, really hurts those guys' egos until they can do a chin-up. And it's hard for some of our bigger guys. It really is hard for some of our big guys. But the chin-up is something that we truly value inside of our weight room. And I don't care if a guy is 100 pounds or 300 pounds, if they're not able to control their body weight, that is something that we value much more in regards to health and performance than just, hey, we're going to flat barbell bench press because someone said that it's good for football. Mm. I mean, the whole idea of relative strength from a confidence standpoint, it, it's it comes off as blasphemy early but then all of a sudden when they do do that chin up or they do knock out 20 with half their body weight the confidence they have from that is hard to really put your your, your finger on is like the relative impact but when you're seeing your guys being able to go okay we're going to do 10 sets of three on chin up this block you know or like something that seems outrageous a long time ago and they start to grab the weighted belt automatically right like oh, i'm gonna add the dip belt so i because i'm that's too low of a rep. I'm going to have to add some weight. It doesn't happen on accident. That happens over time of just parlaying this, your, your ability to move your body weight with good execution and good technique is really important. Um, those are amazing benchmarks. And, you know, the cool thing about that, and one of the things that you have to learn in the team setting, which is a big disconnect for a lot of people out there working with one-on-one -on -one is you need these things. You need these back pocket things. Like be able to do a chin up before we start to talk about barbell bench. Like, can you? Yes or no? Okay, that's going to be a hard rule now. Like we're going to do that across the board because I'm tired of having this stupid conversation about when we're going to bench press because it just simply is it, it's it's so small and, and unnecessary, relatively speaking, to all the other things that we need to work on. Like, I, I get it. Like, I like bench pressing too, but. I'm tired of having this conversation because we suck at all these other areas. Like, just do a chin-up. We can do a chin-up, then we can start to have this conversation. I mean, same thing. Like, oh, can you rack the bar in a front squat? We can't clean. Like, rack the bar in a front squat. Stop using the straps. Start crossing your heart. Like, if we can't hold it here, how am I going to be able to comfortably say you should be able to absorb that barbell safely? Like, we have to have some sort of, I almost a fault of, like, we're doing this first. Like, that's just the bottom line. And I, and I know that you can bench press somewhere else. You can go to the rec center and knock out whatever amount of bench press you want to do. 
I can't stop you. In fact, a lot of ways it's actually going to be the benefit for me because I can do stuff that's actually more meaningful when I do have you. But on the other end, it's you really want it. You really want to show how everyone you're, you're so great at bench press. Show everyone you could do a chin up first, because quite right now, if I was going to say you could bench 400 pounds and you can't do a single chin up, you have really structural imbalanced shoulders and that's going to be a problem somewhere. So figure that out first or you're just relatively weak. You know, your body mass is too much to move it freely without any kind of obstruction. So with all of that being said, and you're looking at this now from a, okay, we have these benchmarks, we have these uh, progressions from biomechanics, you know, you're, now let's look at it. And I get we now have the COVID situation of like six years and transfers and all these other things. But, you know, looking at it from a long term athletic development model of like year one all the way to year four, you know, are you working from the end of year four, their last game back to year one? Or are you thinking, let's just chip away at this one year at a time till we get to some sort of higher level towards four years? What What's your thought process there from first day to the last day you got them? I think much more along the lines of the first day, to be honest with you, um, because everyone is going to progress a little bit differently in regards to speed. You know, if you get someone who's very well trained and has got a great background, like they're going to get to that standard card or that advanced card program that I have much faster than the athlete that has not really had good training background before. So I was highly influenced by reading some Dr. Yeses uh, stuff early on. So I've adopted um, a one by 20 approach. You can kind of tell with, you know, my goblet squat for 20 reps um, that that kind of was an influence there. So the one by 20 approach was a way for me to, to introduce. I don't use like 20 different exercises like he did, but I was able to introduce a variety of different exercises keep the volume fairly low so I didn't impair rec recovery during a practice um, or all the other things that the athlete has going on. So I can introduce maybe 10 exercises, teach them how to do it, um, you know, um, keep the volume low so do I can keep recovery um, there so that they still had room to practice. And then I would progress them as they demonstrated competency in the movement, as they demonstrated, you know, um, strength within those movements that we value. And then all those movements there are going to lie along a continuum, right? We'll start with a push up. We'll start with a chin up. We'll start with an inverted row. We'll start with a goblet squat. We'll start with all those movements that are kind of foundational. And then we won't progress them until they either hit those numeric physiologic outputs that we're looking for, or subjectively, they just really are great within those movements. Um, as far as what we deem is important, you know, can our, our split squats, can we get hamstring to calf? Can we have both legs, you know, balanced right to left and, and do the required repetitions. And then each person is going to progress as we, as a staff, uh, see fit. So I really liked the one by 20 program and I wanted to, I, I really just think about stacking good days after good days, after good days, after good days from an early on perspective, not really knowing or, or not really taking into account what's going to happen year three, year four, because as you know, kind of in this time period, 
these kids transfer a lot. Um, you know, I don't really think about year three, year four. And I kind of, as much as I think about day one, day two, day three, those are really kind of where I'm more focused as opposed to year three, year four. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's definitely worked for us. And it's been allowed me to just focus on that day. And it's allowed me to have a slow cook process. Whereas if I think I were thinking about year three or year four, I think I would just unconsciously speed up that athlete for, I don't know if that would provide any benefit because like you said, it's not that the back squat or the clean from the ground through a full range of motion or the snatch is the end all be all like, this is the Holy grail of us winning basketball games. So I, I think we're just trying to give the athlete qualities and we can get leg strength from a goblet <laughs> squat, get upper body strength from a chin up, from a push up. I can load those things. And we might win just as many games or more with a loaded push-up than we do with a barbell bench press with chains at 10 by three with a 22nd, you know, uh, you know, just the most more complicated things that would happen maybe on developmental year three or year four. I, I really focus on day one, day two, day three versus year three. Yeah. And that's, it's a great point because you kind of get, way too far down the road and took away from actually what you should be focusing on directly in front of you. Uh, you know, I think there's an element too when you're, you're describing yeses or you're describing uh, this, this method or protocol of, you know, the, in order for us to get to whatever it is we think we can do year four, we have to be good on day one, right? Like it, it's, it's layering this foundational ability on top of other foundational ability on top of other foundation ability to reach this sports mastery or this, you know, this peaking, so to speak of we're going into this SPP type of setup now. And all of a sudden GPP just is crap is just crap. Like it's not even close to what it needs to be. So they're, they're throwing with a weak engine or they're striking with a really poor bomb mechanic before that. Um, so, uh, yes, a hundred percent. It's just interesting to hear the, the, the overall perspective of like, all right, what am I going to look like year four? Cause that's what I was asked when I was interviewed at army. I was like, what, what are you going to do year one versus year four? And I was like, that's a very tough question. Um, and what do you want them to look like going into our last season? Cause I have to think about what you think is good versus what you think is bad. And he's like, I just want them tough, physical, and aggressive. Like, then that's what we're going to do day one. We're going to do everything on day one to get us net closer to that. And it might mean something as simple as let's just start behind the line or, hey, that rep wasn't good enough. Here's our standard. Go out there and do it. Like, challenge them, make them really good in cognitively and physically challenging situations and hold them to a high standard. And we're just going to keep chipping away at it. Uh, and I had my idea of like what I would love to do year four from a movement selection standpoint or from a programming standpoint. Um, I just finished a book about it. Like I wanted to get to there, but it really didn't mean anything if I didn't have these foundational effects and before that. And I think a lot of times when you're going about this very dynamic, fluid situation with rosters and people like, shoot, how many times you work with probably your dance team and they go, we're going to have six weeks. And then when we get to season, we're not doing anything in the weight room. 
Like, okay. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's a hard thing to really trying to traverse when you're trading this like year round program or this four year program of like, there's going to be these huge gaps where they're basically saying we're not coming into the weight room. And until I trust you that you're not going to fuck that up for us. And, you know, over time, you'll do some things that will benefit them during the course of their either competition or practice. And, but early on, good luck trying to convince a coach that's not uh, comfortable with the idea of the weight room in the first place and saying, Hey, we're going to lift weights during preseason or we're going to lift weights uh, during our massive competitive season. And we really want you to take on a lion's share of their development. Um, so with the idea though of because i want to get i get boots on the ground here so you have your benchmarks you're working them through uh working them through these like kind of like standard exercises the push-ups inverted row goblet squat uh whatever the posterior chain movement is how are you discussing that with your athletes of hey you're going to progress to this upper level program or you're going to stay with this program are you doing that until like the lowest common denominator in the group can move up or are you doing that based off of individually they're they're ready to move on like what does the logistics look like when you're progressing someone or you're progressing a team it's definitely coming from an individual standpoint and that puts a little bit more work on us as coaches because you kind of have that multi-layered approach where okay i've got my green card that's for my developmental i've got my yellow card for my intermediate and then maybe i have my advanced maroon card uh you know for some of our more advanced guys and yes it is going to be a little bit more work however it's our job as coaches to put in that work and i'm very very fortunate particularly with football and even some of our other sports i do have uh assistant coaches on the floor with me so we can on that multi-layered um approach inside of our weight room. Um, so it's going to be some guys will progress much, much faster than others. Um, whether that be uh, from a strength standpoint or whether that be from just an I want to standpoint, because while we do have very, very good athletes, it's not everybody's thing to be in the weight room. So even some of our football athletes, you would think, oh man, a bunch of tough meatheads that just love the weight room. Not the case. They love football. So while they're great football players, they're great athletes, sometimes the weight room is not their thing. So they may not progress as fast as that scout team player who just loves the weight room but gives all their focus, makes sure each rep has great integrity and does everything right inside the weight room. They may progress faster than that three-star, four-star, five-star kid who just does not care about the weight room because what I do inside the weight room is not the exact same thing that happens on the field. In fact, it's very, very different. You know, I knew that there is no SPP inside the weight room. In fact, everything we do is GPP. So I'm just trying to give qualities for that particular athlete in which they are lacking and which is going to help them within their sport, their position, what have you. So it's very, very different. So with, that being said, you know, we're definitely going to progress people at different rates and it's going to be all based on them, you know, and I know I maybe get off a little tangent right here, but some of our best athletes uh, and, and players that I believe are going to go on to play professionally, people will ask me, you know, like, oh, you must have a great 
time training Ryan? Or what was it like to train Nick Sakal, who's now in the NFL? And I'm just, the way I think about it is like, uh, I don't know if I really coached them that much because they just wanted it so badly that I just had to give them one cue or say one little thing to them and they made it happen. Whereas I spend so much time on that kid who's got a lot of talent, but they just, they don't have that work ethic. They don't have that rep integrity. They don't have the focus day in and day out that they need to have. But now that I'm going into year five, year six, it's great to have those athletes that have had success inside of our weight room and as well as onto the field. So going back to our discussion on chin-ups, you know, Nick Sakal is on the San Francisco 49ers right now as a backup uh, offensive lineman. Uh, and he gets some time as well. But at 320 pounds, he did 12 chin-ups. At 320 pounds, you know, he jumped a 9-8 broad jump. So now it's like I've got this tangible data for our linemen saying like, listen, you say to me that you want to be a starter, an all-conference player, an all-American, an NFL player, a draft pick you know, a conference champion in the, you know, NFC West. You say you want all those things, but you haven't hit these benchmarks that I've seen Nick Sakel hit. So you are going to do this regressed variation until you demonstrate, you know, reaching these certain checkpoints, these certain KPIs that we have. And until that point, that's where you're going to stay. You say you want these goals, hit these KPIs, and we'll move you as long, uh, as fast along um, as you demonstrate. It's not up to me. It's up to you. So it really just kind of puts the ownership back on them. Um, and luckily, over time, we've really, you know, garnered the trust and the respect of the athletes to understand that this is the way it is. It's Coach Gill's show. It's shown to work. Um let me just hit this chin up so that I can barbell bench press. You know, let me demonstrate that I can go all the way down on a hands-free front squat before we start lowering it. Let me demonstrate that I can own this tempo so I can get to the more fun stuff, you know, or the progression that he has set forth that I see all those older guys doing or my teammates doing, you know, because they took it more seriously. It, it really comes down to the athlete just taking it seriously and really it, it's really up to them. From a organization standpoint, you know, where are you standing in regards to the multi-level programs, the yellow cards, green cards, or the maroon cards? It, it, it's almost a, I want to be with the green cards. I want to be with the developmental cards more so like, I get more pumped up about getting their first chin up. I get more pumped up about perfect push-ups, some uh, more than I get, you know, pumped up about the certain complexes or the banded squats or the more progressed Olympic variation. I like working with freshmen and our transfers and I like working with the advanced. Now, even though I like working with um, our green card a little bit more, uh, I kind of have to have that top-down approach and, and really look at, okay, who is going to impact our team the most this year? It's probably going to be that junior, that senior, our starters who are a little bit more advanced in the program. So this past year, um, I've 
uh, gravitated more towards our advanced cards um, because those are the guys that are, are probably going to make a difference more so in our win-loss column than some of our freshmen and transfers. Um, hopefully that's how it goes. You know, hopefully our, our guys who have been around with me, for, you know, will will make an impact on the field a, a little bit more. Um, but I, I'm also extremely lucky and I have that trust in our assistants to run that developmental program. So I think that's not only happened because of me acknowledging who's going to make the most difference on the field, but now that my staff, uh, I, I can trust them so much that I've got some great assistants that have that same standard, that have that same, you know, tough love and tough coaching that I'd like to pride myself on that I trust that they're going to take those guys and develop them just as well, if not better than I would myself. Um, So I think I'm very, very blessed to be in that situation. It's amazing when you really break down your level of contribution as a director and you're thinking, okay, my job is to facilitate other people to be really good at the job that I know I could do as well, if not better than them. And when you start to really lean in on what actually has more weight towards wins and losses or more direct value to the athletic department, like I make this much money and best way I can contribute is this. Your first initial reaction is I'm the most experienced. I have the best idea of how I want this to go. So I need to be the best coach. But in a lot of ways, that transfers over into, no, I need to be an example. I need to be a standard. I need to be a a figure of what that person is walking around trying to just be better than they were the day before because they're so young and so green relative to strength conditioning. You have to be that model for them to example the example that or that example they have to model themselves after, which is a weird role. Like you don't know it and it's not something that's, intuitive early right because your boots on the ground you're a dartmouth you're walking around like all right my value is based on how hard i coach how consistent i am how much value i can be from this person directly in front of me to now i have to be a a person that's going through a medium you know that all right that freshman that transfer is working with that first year coach and he or she's just trying to do a good job and their ability to do their job is how well I am at doing my job, which is a weird thing to kind of process. And then you're over there with your maroon card guides and you're like, all right, I got to make sure that they are, and they're safe, right? Cause we're doing more advanced stuff. And then I got to make sure that they're taken care of cause they're going to have the biggest pull on the ear of their, their coach or the head coach. Um, I got to make sure that they are the tip of the spear for that freshman and transfer to go, okay, I want to be that guy. You know, and there are all these elements and the, the the symbolism of what your role is and what you need to kind of traverse and triangulate. And and then the first question you're going to get is, how's this person doing? So it's either that transfer that's high needs or that senior that's all right about to play for the 49ers. And you got to be able to answer it like that, right? Like, oh, great coach. Nick crushed it today in the weight room. Oh, man, this transfer is going to be awesome for us. He just knocked out 12 chin ups like you got to be able to answer that so rapidly and you're kind of like going through all these other people and it's it's an amazing complex and uh interesting role because you're being pulled in so many directions and uh when you're breaking it down where do you stand or where are you going to be in the weight room when 100 guys are circulating through in an hour or two hours 
you don't think about that when you're signing on the line of like, great, I'm going to be the director of strength and conditioning at Fordham. And uh, I can't wait to start to get out there and implement a program that I really want to do. And then you get to that first day of like, all right, man, I'm losing touch with these elements. I got to start to gravitate or move around a little bit more. Um, so it's always a fun one to get that answer on. And true, that's changed over the last six years, I would imagine, right? Yeah. I mean, when you describe all the things that I'm supposed to do, you make it seem really complicated. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> I, got, I hope I'm, uh, you know, dotting all my I's and crossing all my T's. But it's, um, you know, there's certain things that we do, you know, it's all about the communication. So, with that day, with that kind of microscopic focus that we take, like going into a training session, like we're going to staff meet, we're going to make sure that every single card, every coach knows exactly what we're looking for. Okay. Are we getting our hamstring to calf on our split squats? Are we getting our chest to bar and our chin ups? Are we owning our tempos? Are we setting ourselves up and, and speaking the same language overall so that they're getting a consistent message. Okay. This is what we need to look for, for some of our maroon guys. This is what we're going to do speed work for our big guys versus our skill guys. So there is a lot of time that goes into the preparation, you know, and that's something that, um, you know, the famous, obviously all of us as coaches really look up to John Wooden, you know, and he used to spend just as much time preparing for a practice as he did running the actual practice, you know, and then we're also going to have our after action reports. You know, uh, that's something I stole from Jocko Willink and he obviously stole from his military time. Um, but being able to write that down after every single training session so that when I do go to coach, I do have a hundred little notes you know, on my computer that I can very easily look up because it's very easy for me, who's has a very poor memory to start with, to remember what little Johnny did, you know, in the developmental squad when really I only said hello to him. Mm -hmm. But if I have that after action report and Giorgio or, you know, one of my other assistants, Coach Josh, you know, they come to me and say, listen, little Jimmy uh, was amazing lower body, you know, in regards to his goblet squats, but he really lacks that torso stability, you know, on his pushups or his chin-ups and he's swinging all around and he, he can't really control his body weight very well. Or, you know what, he doesn't understand how to start behind the line and really finish through the line with a plus three mentality. So not only is our preparation pretty, um, you know, pretty thorough, you know, or after action reports as a staff are going to be pretty thorough as well. And I'm going to make sure that I write it down so that I have those answers for coach, because the last thing I want to do is go to coach and say, Oh, I don't know what Jimmy did. You know, it's like, I don't know what that transfer is doing because those coaches put a lot of effort into bringing those kids to the Bronx. You know, they have a lot invested in them. They have their career. They have their families invested in them. So if I'm not preparing them well, if I'm not, letting them know how that certain athlete is doing, I'm doing them a huge disservice too. So I got to be prepared for the athletes, but I also got to be prepared for these coaches because I see these kids far more um, than, than they do at particular points in the, in, in the year. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes into this other, another conversation about, are right, you doing your debrief post-action report are you looking at, hey, I'm writing this down quite a bit, like they lose torso control during pull-ups, or I'm writing this down more than five times. I'm now making a note of, I need to revisit our progression. Is there any element of that? Like, 
or is it just more organic and innate? Like you're just like, okay, this isn't what we want. How do I meta shift gears here? This is probably one of my favorite things as a coach is I like to just steal from my staff as much as I can, because that does happen a lot. You know, for two weeks, this kid can't, you know, you know, he's losing torso control on a squat or two weeks, this kid, you know, his heels are lifting up. His foot pressure is wrong. He doesn't have that ankle mobility. And this is something that is probably my favorite part as far as my interaction with my staff is I'm, I just ask them, like, what do we need to do? You know, because there's a million ankle mobility drills. There's a million different ab exercises or, you know, stability exercises that we could do for the torso. But I like, I like asking other people, you know, and, and I've got such a great staff that I'm like, okay, what do we need to do with this individual to remedy this problem? Hmm. Um, so it's something that we may individualize the program. You know, we've got many different, for example, our, our squat, for example, you know, we've got a continuum of squat, uh, of squat exercises or lower body push exercises, however you want to deem it. Okay. Can we find the right variation for the person um, where they are currently at physically. Mm. So, you know, we've got some longer limb guys, maybe like a front squat. He's just like leaned over, you know, he's shifting his hips back. He's not able to keep that vertical torso in a front squat. And it's like, man, I thought that if I anteriorly loaded him, I'd be able to give him a, a vertical torso. I even elevated his heels, but he's still, you know, leaning over a little bit. Like what can we do differently? Can we set him up for success? all right, let's try a Zercher squat. Oh man, like let's try a Zercher squat. Oh, he looks great with the Zercher squat. Wow, he's the only person in the room doing a Zercher squat. Everyone else is front squatting or back squatting or doing a split squat. But guess what? This kid looks great on a Zercher squat. He feels comfortable with the Zercher squat. You know, he feels kind of special because he's the only one doing this tough variation. He's going to take ownership of it. He feels good with it. Let's progress that. Um, so... We kind of play around with some certain things, whether it be some extra homework that that athlete can do. Like, okay, these are some ankle mobility drills that may help you with that squat variation. Hey, these are some extra core drills or thoracic, you know, opening drills that might help your torso a little bit. But sometimes those extra homework things don't really pan out like you, you wanted them to. It takes a long time to change ankle mobility. It takes a long time to change thoracic mobility or maybe wanting, you know, getting that immediate response uh, in form and rep integrity that we're looking for. And we're all a little bit impatient, the athlete as well. So sometimes we're not afraid to change that variation to one that just it looks good. It feels good. And we feel like we can progress it. And it's still accomplishing the goal. Like it's still a lower body push. You know, it's still an upper body pull here but now the athlete is behind it whereas they always kind of felt like man this feels awkward you know i keep doing it wrong coach is on me he keeps saying chest up i can't get my chest up he keep, he says keep your heels down i i'm trying to coach my heels are not staying down that's where it's our job as coaches to kind of experiment a little bit yeah. you know and having that toolbox and then being able to fit the square peg in the square hole, the round peg in the round hole. And, and that just kind of comes with reps and it comes with us as a staff really just talking it out. And that's the fun part about coaching. I think is 
you know, or at least with my staff members are concerned, it's like, you know, they saw something or they read something or they've tried something that I've never tried before. All right. I trust you. Let's try it. You know, and I'll oversee it. And if I don't like it, we're, we're going to scrap it. But if it's got great value and it's something that we can we can all get behind, athlete included, let's run with it. Uh, and, and so you mentioned, though, like the idea of scrapping it. Uh I find that's the hardest part. It's the person that's working for you had the courage to try, which is something that you're imploring your staff to do because there's no there's no one way to do this. So we need a more well-rounded, more thought out approach here. And when you get to that point, okay, let's say we do a Zercher squat and it it just looks like absolute dog shit, like noses below the knees, like this is okay. That was not a good solution. <laughs> like off of that, are you saying this is a, okay, we just need more time with this? Or is there an element of it just wasn't the right call because of X, Y, and Z? And how do you visit that with your staff that you don't want to discourage them from taking their shot, but also too of, okay, there was a better solution. We need to find that one. What is your your approach with your staff on that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think taking that shot um i think we just want to make it the easiest at first as possible and i'm not sure if that makes sense but like it's all about having that continuum so are we if we're going to change the variation and someone on my staff you know wants to take that shot or i want to take that shot okay on the continuum of a zercher squat how do we make it the easiest okay we're going to do it with a very light load okay we're going to do it with heels elevated all right we're going to do it with a tempo we're going to do it with isometric pauses so that we've eliminated as many variables of things that can go wrong we've eliminated those variables okay they can do it with a pause they can do it with lightweight they can do it with heel elevation all right let's move a little bit faster Let's add a little bit more weight. Let's, you know, maybe remove the heel elevation if that's something that's not um, causing the movement to look, you know, poor. So if we're going to try something new, we want to make that, you know, microscopic progression, you know, and it goes back to probably one of the number one things that I, I've ever learned um, you know, I know you're kind of a, a uh, you learned from Charles Poliquin as well, but that Kaizen approach, you know, can we do it 1% better? Okay. Can we make this movement 1% harder, whether it be through microscopic weights, whether it be through adding a little bit more time under tension, whether it be adding a little bit of a rep, whether, you know, we make that movement just a little bit harder, that's how we're going to progress. And ultimately, if they are able to demonstrate that, you know, most regressed variation and we're patient in our progression, more times out of not more times than not, it's going to look okay. You know, it's going to progress well, um, as opposed to like, okay, I want to go from step one to step five in four years. Well, we might never get to step five. You know, it's so hard for me to answer that question that you got asked, like, where are we going to look like, you know, in year four? I don't know if I'd get that job because I'd be like, I need to see what we look like 
on day one, you know, are we going to be able to, you know, own what I want on day one, day two, day three, day four, can we be consistent with it? But I just know that if I ask you to do something on day one, I know that on day two, I'm going to ask you to do just a little bit more. And I think that's realistic for me asking the athlete to do that. And I think it's realistic um, as far as the athlete being able to progress and get a little bit better. Yeah. You know, I'm not asking you to do, you know, solve trigonometry problems here. Like I'm just asking you to get a little bit better, you know, and even if we fail, okay, let's just stay at step one for a little bit longer. And if we keep hammering on step one and you keep coming and you keep coming and we keep coaching it and we keep working on it, eventually we're going to get to step two. I don't know if it's going to happen day two or if it's going to happen year two, but eventually we will get to step two with that Kaizen approach. Mm. Yeah. And I think there's a whole other conversation of working with coaches and this idea of tempering expectations versus reality. And, you know, I think when you watch a practice, you kind of pretty good feel of if they're a those who stay will be champions kind of thing or they're they're teachers and they are tacticians and they're looking at this from this is where we're at right now. You know, we, we have a bunch of offensive linemen that can't get into a three point stance and come out that first step. That's what we're going to focus on as opposed to fuck it. We're just going to go team and we're just going to grind these guys until we figure it out. Uh, and you can kind of get a good feel for how you should communicate to them. Hey, we're going to do goblet squat with these guys. I don't really care about the back squat right now. Like, did you see our practice? Like, those are the guys we want to start to really get strong now. Like, I get it. Just not what we're going to do here. And having that ability to articulate that in a way that they have confidence in you and you have confidence in them. Like, I get you. You have your practice style. And, but here in the weight room, this is our method. This is what we're doing. This is what we're going to preach. And hopefully there's a appreciation for, I got this. I'm good. I know what I'm doing here. You just go ahead and trust the fact that we're doing this in the right, right progression to get them to that point B where we all want to be, which is winning a lot of games and our starters playing 12 games and not getting hurt, breaking down. Um, but in itself, like there's all these moments that pop up. Like I remember how many times working in a weight room and, a coach just starts motherfucking one of my offensive linemen for not curling 60 pound dumbbells. Like, what the fuck does that matter? You know, like, it's like, we should be curling that. I'm like, why? Who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, I just want them to be able to curl 60 pound dumbbells. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't care. Like, it just doesn't matter. It does to me. Okay. Fair enough. Like, and having that ability to, to really handle that situation and knowing, okay, this is, this is what we're committing to. We have level one, level two, level three, uh, level one is what it is. We're going to do this until they can, they can do it. And, and then having that ability to communicate that to the coach of like, they're doing a great job. They're busting their ass. They're getting after it. They're just doing it in a way that you're not familiar with. Uh, that, that takes time, man. That's not something that's easy. That's not something that you should take for granted as a strength coach. Cause there's so many nuance, so much nuance with that. And you're battling two different fronts of the athlete. Like, well, I did this in high school and I was allowed to fucking barbell back squat and all these other things. And I have the coach. It's like, I coach this place. We were fucking strong. We we're great at line of scrimmage. And because we did these things like causation correlation, man, it's not the same, man. Like, uh, however, uh, that's, that's another conversation to be had. And I'm going on rant here. Um, so 
you know, wrapping this up and, you know, kind of getting this all together, we've talked about a bunch of different topics with individuality, right? From biomechanics, pharmacology, um, you know, and kind of even dabbling into the psychology of this, of like looking at people just handle things differently. You know, when you're, you know, now thinking about all the sports that you're working with, all the athletes that you're working with, where they're at in the training age, where they're at with their college careers, you know, what is the big take home for you uh, thinking about the idea of individuality and making sure that you're accounting for it as well as not getting too, I guess, enamored with it with the expense of something else? Is there like a big, hey, this, when all else fails, this is what you should be thinking about on an individual basis? Hmm. So I, I think... The, the biggest thing that at least this is what I think you're kind of asking me is, okay, are we really, you know, when I, pro, I feel like my programs now are simpler than when I was a GA at Springfield college. Um, you know, I've really, I think I dove so much into the individual, you know, individualization of my programming based on the sport, based on what that athlete needed, you know, to get into the perfect, you know, dance position or the perfect lacrosse position that I saw in that photo that one time, you know, or the energy system. Well, energy system, we, we, we like to, to marry it pretty quick, uh, pretty closely to what we see on sports, but there's not going to be any basketball, lacrosse, baseball, football specific exercise done inside the weight room. You know, there are certain qualities that are needed to be a good lacrosse player, a good baseball player, a certain movement, you know, um, capacities that are needed to do those sports at a, you know, and be stay healthy throughout a long season, through a long career. So I want to be able to give that athlete those qualities and those capacities that they need to stay out of the training room and to give them the best possible chance to succeed so that's where um, I'm going to put all my effort. So, for example, if I've got two days a week with our swim and dive team, that's going to look very, very different, that program, um, than a four-day-a-week football program that I have. So I'm going to individualize things based on the amount of days that I have to train somebody, um, as well as how that athlete moves, you know, and the integrity that they're able to perform each repetition that I think is going to give them that quality that they need for their sport. Um, that's where my individualization comes uh, more so as opposed to the position or the sport um, itself. You know, what we choose for a two-day a week swim and dive program is going to be different than the four-day a week football program. And then based on that, I'm going to give them an exercise that strengthens their legs. So swimmers need strong legs. You know, swimmers need strong backs. What exercise am I going to choose that best targets that? And then I'll start, you know, a little bit lower on that continuum. You know, is it going to be an inverted row? Is it going to be a chest supported dumbbell row? Is it going to be a chin up? Okay, with a certain grip, I'm going to set them up for success. Okay, 
Now let's get to a harder variation, whether that be weighted, whether that be with certain tempo to it, whether that be making it more unilateral or a harder variation for it. Um, that's going to be all individualized based on that person's uh, performance of it. You know, very, very similar to, um, you know, our lower body training. Like lower body is going to be important for our swimmers. It's going to be important for our defensive backs. It's going to be important for our offensive linemen. Let's start them out on that lower end of the continuum of lower body strength exercises that I've developed that I think have great value for one reason or another. And then let me move them along that continuum as they demonstrate that competency. That's really where my individualization comes as opposed to any individualization based on that sport. Um, because I've got a lot of my cheer and dance athletes back squatting ass to grass. Whereas I have some of my football athletes doing a, you know, very high elevated front foot split squat. And you'd be thinking like, man, you got football players who are doing a split squat and you got your cheer and dance team who you completely skipped over the front squat and went right to the back squat. And that was it. Like I, I didn't ever front squatted my cheer and dance team, even though that's one of the pillars of my continuum of a lower body push. I just saw their mobility. I saw how they moved overall. And I'm like, we don't need the front squat. You know, not only did I think it was going to be so uncomfortable for them, uh, you know, on their clavicles, they've got no, uh, you know, mass up here on their shoulders. I'm like, man, I'm just going to put this bar right on their back. And they looked great from day one. Whereas we have some athletes on our football team that I'm not sure are ever going to get to a back squat. So if you just look at, or if a lot of football coaches or coaches who are, or maybe not as educated um, or just not as experienced, they'd be like, you're not going to back squat a football player. Like, are you kidding me? You're like, you're asking to just lose a bunch of games and be weak and be injured and, you know, not accomplish any goals. And I think that's wrong. You know, I, I think that's wrong. You know, we're going to cherish movement. We're going to ch cherish, um, you know, uh, rep integrity over everything. And until we progress along that individualization continuum, we're going to grab that lowest hanging fruit along the way. That's it, man. Uh, that was awesome. Uh, you know, just uh... – I guess it's a good lesson, right? Like what is actually quantifiable? You know, like that's what I'm going to do. Like how many days a week can you train and what can you do? And I think too often, like you said, my programs at Springfield College are probably more complex or complicated than they are now out of necessity, right? Because now you have to explain this and you have to justify this to a lot of people. And if I can't say it, well, how many days a week are you training and what can I do right now? probably don't really have the the authority to be doing that at a high level and uh and when you don't have that like burden right like at springfield college you just go meet with coach bugby and like let's go do this this seems awesome he's gonna be pretty cool about everything you want to do and you're like all right let's go and then okay over time now i have to explain this to my staff i have to explain this to all my athletes i have to explain this to Everybody that's involved with this, I got to distill this down to what is actually true. And all right, great. Let's decide on how many days a week can they train and where they at on this continuum based off these standards or benchmarks that we have biomechanically and physiologically. It's that simple. I can 
you can move them up or down based off of what happened from there. Um, that's awesome, man. That's a really great point. Um, and that's uh, something that I think from experience probably is one of the most valuable lessons anyone who's listening to this or wants to get into strength conditioning or quite frankly, wants to get to the role that you're at, you know, has to appreciate because if you don't learn that, man, you're going to really struggle in that role. It's just really hard unless you have some sort of clear diagnostic as to any of these principles. So, uh, man, I, I just want to say thank you again for taking the time. Uh, this was awesome. Um, this was exactly exactly the the clarity we needed on this this subject because i think kind of getting the weeds on individuality i mean if you look at the module i was talking about entropy i was talking about uh, chaos theory i was talking about a lot of variables with complex open systems that procure energy from the outside world and how just crazy it can get and when we get this all right hey i'm actually doing this on a daily basis and i have to have some sort of clear and really easy to understand things to explain you know you get this better perspective overall you know and we can go so deep on everything but as the dunning-kruger would always explain like the people that you know know the most think they know the least but they also have the best solution out of necessity um and i think that's an element too so man i just want to say thank you so much for taking the time here this was a great conversation and a lot of really cool uh cool sides of the story and i'm excited about fordham and uh, all the other cool things you got going on around there man thank you again thank you very much man and uh like i said um before you know I just finished your book the other day, man. Absolutely loved it. Just signed up for the curriculum too. So I'm excited to kind of dive deeper into the weeds right there because uh, that'll be fun. Yeah, I wrote that all that curriculum during uh, the pandy, um, which was uh, a really interesting place for everyone. Um, 500 pages later, you're like, okay, this is it's a lot of stuff. Um, just deep into physics at that point, deep into uh, chemistry, a lot of like areas that like, okay, I got to pull myself out of here, which created this need of like, I got to call guys like you to have like a perspective that like, okay, man, like it's not that intricate. We just, here's what we're doing, man. And, uh, and it's, I think it's been fun in that process to have some sort of balance to the universe on this. So thank you for all of that, man. And I uh, hope you, uh, hope you enjoy that. Cause it's definitely something to put a lot of time and effort into, but um, I feel like my fear was it's either way too, way too, uh, in like this specific avenue, whether it's like physics or chemistry or something very ethereal and not necessarily something is like boots in the ground. Like it's just, it's just, just a simple man. Just, we've got to do this first. And, and that's most important. And you're right. Like, um, so hopefully I have some really good balance to the universe on that. So thank you again for uh, taking the time to help bring clarity to this, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Awesome.